I always wanted to do a 225 pound barbell single arm snatch. And the best I got was 215 pounds. And, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know why I want to do that. I really enjoy that exercise or that movement. I wouldn't call it an exercise just because it's so raw and explosive. Like you can't even have good technique with it for the most part because you can't pop it with your hips when it's a barbell because you're going to make it like spin to one side. Uh, it's, it's just very, it's very different. And uh, it's just a raw, explosive, powerful look movement. And, uh, and so every now and again, I've always, I've had it written in my notes of uh, the goals that I wanted. And that's one I just never, I, I was never able to get. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to inventor, author, and record-breaking powerlifter Chris Duffin. He's the founder of Kabuki Strength, based out of Oregon, and also the author of The Eagle and the Dragon, an autobiographical look into Chris's life and inspirations. Though he's retired from powerlifting competition, Chris is still on a mission to accomplish a series of strength feats once thought impossible. That includes deadlifting 1,000 pounds for reps, which he did in 2016, and more recently, squatting 1,000 pounds for reps, which he plans to attempt this March. In this podcast, Chris and I chat about his training and motivation for his incredible squat challenge, which includes breaking training barriers few, if any, other humans have ever attempted before. We also discuss the mental toll of prepping for near-superhuman strength feats, along with the cutting-edge recovery tools and techniques in Chris's arsenal. It's a look into pushing the limits of performance that you won't want to miss. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listen to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbend podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. Chris Duffin, perhaps better known as Mad Scientist Duffin Online. Thanks so much for joining us today. And we're recording this podcast right in the midst of your training for what you claim is your final great feat of strength. First off, what is it? And then secondly, why are you saying it's your, your final one? You're someone who's known for quite a few feats of strength over the course of your career. Yeah. <clears throat> well, this is actually a culmination of a few things. So uh, I retired from powerlifting competitively uh, four years ago. And at the time, I announced I have, I've got these grand goals I'm going for. And I didn't really fully elaborate it on. I just said, hey, you know, it's to go for a thousand pound deadlift. And I ended up doing that, which was the still stands as the, the Guinness World Record for the sumo deadlift. But I did it for almost three repetitions. And that was actually my goal all along. Um, people watch my training. They're like, you're strong enough to pull a thousand. Why aren't you doing it? Well, the plan was to be the first person in history to have done reps with a thousand pound deadlift. But that was only part of the plan. The, the, the entire plan was to be the first person in history to do reps with a thousand pounds for both the squat and the deadlift. And so this has been a multi-year training plan. So over four years, 
of developing my axial load tolerance to be able to handle the training that's needed to be able to have somebody that's a bit lighter like myself. Because again, the only other people pulling a thousand plus pound deadlifts at the time were 140 pounds heavier than me. Same thing with the squat. You know, they're, they're just body weight nowhere near me. So I have to train a lot more and a lot harder. And so this is my, my final piece of that is to squat a thousand pounds for a triple. And so I, uh, I chose this because a lot of times you have specialists in one area or the other. And I really felt that this could stand and make a statement on, you know, the principles of the things that we talk about in the education with Kabuki strength, uh, which is, you know, the largest global importance is being able to stabilize and control spinal position. Well, that's definitely demonstrated by being able to do this <laughs> more so than a heavy single. A lot of people don't realize that like it takes me about 30 seconds to do a triple with around, you know, upper 900 pound weight. That's a lot longer time to be able to st stabilize and manage and control that. So this is that that's been the plan. I've done a few other things in the interim while I've been developing it. But if, if you think back now and understand I was working on increasing my axial load tolerance, you're like, oh, those all actually fit into the plan. Because mm -hmm. I, I squatted 800 pounds every single day for 30 days at one point. And I deadlifted 880, so 400 kilograms, every single day for 16 days, 17 days, somewhere in there, uh, as well over the course of this. So over this last four years. And just a side note, like this is, you know, tied to our core beliefs, my core beliefs, my company's core beliefs around uh, the philanthropy and giving back. Every, every time I do one of these, it's, we partner with a charity that we believe in uh, and part and help raise awareness and funds. And then as more recently, actually actively participating in like doing some of the building and things related to the charities. Uh, so so it's a great opportunity to combine those things together uh, by using that platform to, uh, to, to help facilitate that. I, I do want to ask more about the, the training protocols and lead up to this. But I, I also want to ask maybe right now, how do you identify which charities you want to work with for the particular feats of strength? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Nobody's actually answered, <laughs> asked that before. Uh, but it is very specific. So... A lot of these are all tied to, so I, I have a book called, titled The Eagle and the Dragon. It's about my upbringing. It's very, uh, there's a, a lot that's covered in that book. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of experiences that happened to either me or my family growing up homeless and trauma that happened uh, as a result of that. And so a lot of these charities are like the first time I did the grand goals, we were helping build homes for homeless mothers and teens that were, uh, had, were coming out of uh, sexual abuse uh, situations. So this more recent time, again, was more housing for homeless, homeless veterans. Um, but it's kind of related to a lot of my personal experiences. Um, one of them, the last one with the uh, 880 deadlift, we did a fundraiser for Alex's Lemonade Stand. Uh, which is for childhood cancer research. My business partner, Rudy, his grandson was going through um, chemo at the time. So that was, uh, that was a really close point for, for all of us uh, here at, uh, at Kabuki while that was happening. Both of those charities 
that we've tied most closely to. We also do the Special Olympics, um, and that's just something close to my heart, like from a philosophy standpoint, empowering people and teaching them, uh, you know, independence and strength and building those characters. Really, you can see it. So, but uh, we don't do any fundraising for them anymore. We just uh, support their teams because the big thing is we also want to make sure that all our funds are going to the cause. Mm -hmm. So like Alex's lemonade stand, you know, a hundred percent of the funds are going to, to, to research for childhood cancer. Uh, our stuff that we're doing for the, for all the other causes is through the, the Portland uh, or the home builders foundation here in the Portland area. I think it's for Oregon, but all the activities usually here in Portland. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and again, uh, we have a close ties to them. We know that nearly everything, a lot of the admin positions, they're, they're volunteer. And so everything is going to these causes uh, because there's a lot of charities out there. If you don't do the research, you'll find that very small percentages. So we're not talking like 90%, 80% or something is only going to the charity, but it may be a minuscule amount, five, 10% or something like that. And so, um, so anyway, that was a problem we ran into with the Special Olympics. We tried doing, getting, doing some stuff for them and, and we found out that uh, even when we offered to do all the work, they just, it wasn't happening. So, so we, we train their team members and do things like that and uh, coach, coach the teams and stuff like that now mm -hmm. um, versus actively raising funds. So, cause we were finding that wasn't really going to where we were hoping it was going. So you talk about this. So first off, thank you for that explanation. I think that in the fitness industry, there's certainly been a trend towards supporting charitable causes. So getting into kind of the, the business side of that, or I, I guess you could say the admin side of that, how people select those charities and those causes, uh, ones near and dear to, to your heart and the family over at Kabuki Strength. Um, it, it's, it's neat to hear that. It's neat to hear kind of the logic behind that. Going back to the training for the 1,000-pound squat for three reps, it's a culmination of, of a four-year training cycle in many ways. And I like how you, you point out that, no, none of these things have been in a vacuum. It's all kind of culminating in a series of goals, not just individual ones on their own. So it's been a bit of a, a, bit of a four-year training cycle. But leading up to this feat, your training in the squat has certainly ramped up. It's something we're seeing you post more about on social media. By the time this podcast comes out, you might have already attempted and, and done the the thousand pound triple. But what in the months leading up to that attempt has your training been focused on, and what has that looked like? Yeah, so we look uh, about nine months out is usually where we start really planning specifically for here's the event. The same thing happened with the deadlift. It was around nine or eleven months. And so we've got a few large blocks of training leading into that. So first one is we're choosing, we're choosing exercises that are going to lead towards developing the qualities that we want, but are less specific. So at the time, you know, nine months out, I was doing uh, front squatting at the time. We were also looking at developing qualities in areas that were lacking or not lacking, but needed developed. So to be able to hold that bar and hold that position for that long, I needed a lot of upper back strength, lower back strength. So we were seeing a lot of like rowing variations, uh, good mornings, things of that nature that were mixed into the training program. As we got closer, some of those things started to get more specific. Some of the accessory movements started dropping out. So 
I switched to doing transformer bar squats with, you know, similar to a safety squat bar, but a lot more variability in load location and specifically what you want to develop. So I was doing those a couple times a week with only what I call a breathe belt on. Well, that's the name of it. It's a breathe belt that's on our store, but it's an expandable non-supportive belt. So what I'm doing with that is front loading and really challenging my, my ability to maintain torso stability. So with those bars maintaining position at the TL junction, things like that becomes very, very challenging. And then taking away basically a supportive belt really made me focus on building this ability. I felt I needed to get to the point that I could handle 800 pounds a couple times a week. And from there, I knew I would have the, the stability that I needed to be able to start getting to those next phases. The final phases, the last few months, is very, very specific. So this is very unlike you would see in Olympic training, powerlifting training, <clears throat> strongman, because it's one, one event. It's one goal, right? And so this is one of the ways I'm able to pull off things that are just completely outside the norm that we don't normally see because I can put all of my recovery resources to just that. Like if I was trying to train bench press and squat at the same time, I'm going to be consuming more of my training resources, more of my recovery resources that need to be allocated to, the, to that as well. Like you're just not going to be able to achieve or reach as far. And it, this isn't a methodology I would, uh, so I, I, I would suggest to anyone uh, <laughs> because it is very specific. And it's also, I've been training for 30 years or over 30 years. I don't need to put on more muscle. I don't need to, you know, there's a whole lot of things I don't need to do. So like, People are like, well, what about your pressing? What about your, you know, <laughs> when are you deadlifting? I'm not. So, <laughs> so these final phases, that's literally it. I'm going to be squatting on a duffalo bar. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm squatting on a duffalo bar. The most recent phase, it was two training days a week. So I was squatting one day and still doing belt squats on a secondary day. So I wasn't axial loading, uh, but still working on trying to get a little bit more hypertrophy uh, into those legs, add a little bit more muscle mass before getting into the final phases. And now that secondary day has dropped and I'm only squatting once a week. That's it. And that sounds really easy. And I'll tell you, that is so far from the truth. <laughs> what is that squatting uh, day? Like your most recent, your most recent, uh, training day. What were the, what was the volume like on that? Yeah. Uh, I'll walk through it. Warmups included. Cause that goes pretty quick. So I do, I keep my, my warmups again. I make fairly big jumps because I'm trying to conserve both my, my, my physical energy, but also my mental and emotional uh, energy that's needed for those heavy lifts. And so I make large jumps, but I do a lot of like movement prep work on specific areas that I know that I need or going to get things turned on and moving the way that I want. A lot of the way that we warm up is part of, you know, greasing the groove, developing the skills, refining the patterns, whatever you want to call it. Those are not things that I necessarily need to do at my point in the career. So it's all about just like getting things turned on and getting prepared. And really the warm up is just a couple test points to make sure everything's moving well. So I do my movement, body work, body weight stuff. If you want to know what that stuff's like, you can go on our, our uh, coaching Instagram. Uh, which is uh, 
Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. So we pr- produce content there every day um, on Instagram. But uh, I'll do a few movements like that. Then I'll do five or six sets of 12 to 20 with just a plate. So around, well, I'm using kilo plates. So it's roughly 160-ish pounds, say. And then from there, it's uh, 70 kilo jumps. So 300 pounds for a triple, 500 pounds for a couple reps, 700 pounds for a double or a single, 840 pounds, 850 pounds, something like that for a single. And then now's my working. And this is done every week. So this is the volume and intensity that I'm talking about here. I, I don't know that anybody's ever done it before. So last workout was 916 pounds for a double followed by 965 pounds for a double followed by 982 pounds for a double followed by dropping it down to 943 pounds for a double nice easy back offset at 943 yeah Yeah. exactly you still have to be like mentally engaged on all this stuff so it's 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 that's eight reps at an average load of 952 pounds. So for example, in the last two months, I've squatted over 400 kilo, 881 pounds, 71 times. That's, that's nuts. If you think about it like that, like, so when people ask, that's all you're doing, it's like, that's all I can't like, that's, (laughs) that, that's like, takes a toll on your body. This is not like if your max is 500 pounds, and you're you're working up close to that, and doing the you know the the equivalent percentages is very different because maintaining the positions with those 900 plus pound loads, everything is on. I walk away from the workout and I'm like, that's the best lat, lat workout I've had in years. Mm-hmm. My biceps are sore, my triceps are sore, my my lats, my traps, my entire core, like everything is destroyed. Like after every workout. So this is a single a single workout a week, super high intensity, crazy volume for those weights. And you're not doing any other accessory work. There's no day when you're coming in and you're you're doing accessory rows or any pressing or anything like that. Nothing like that. So last block, like I told you, I was doing some belt squats. So there's about four weeks of of that. The block before that, there was still accessory days. And I had I still had like upper body pump days just for, you know. My, my, my mental well-being and stuff. <laughs> you know, I was doing curls and push-ups and things like that. Um, I, I even went away from pressing because when you're impressing, you're getting a little bit of that arch. So you're opening the pelvis to, di- to a ribcage relationship. Uh, and I, I was seeing a negative carryover into my squat on some of those days. So I went to a push-up, which is more of a plank, uh, so I could get some, you know, get some volume. And I do like, you know, five sets of 25 on the push-up or total sets to failure or whatever. So I was still doing things like that as I could, but as I get closer in those weights, you know, so in the last three months, I've gone from an 840 pound average load to 950 pounds. Mm-hmm. So at 840 pound average load, I could still mix that stuff in and recover, but I can't now. 
if you look back on your career, whether as a competitive power lifter or, or after when you've kind of gone over after these more singular feats of strength, is there any feat of strength that you regret not going after or any that you feel has eluded you? Um, there has been one that's eluded me. It hasn't been a, a huge driver and I don't think I'm going to go after it after this, but uh, I always wanted to do a 225 pound barbell single arm snatch. And the best I got was 215 pounds. And uh, I, I, uh, I don't know why I want to do that. I really enjoy that exercise or that movement. I wouldn't call it an exercise <laughs> just because it's so raw and explosive. <laughs> like you can't even have good technique with it for the most part because you can't pop it with your hips when it's a barbell because you're going to make it like spin to one side. Uh, it's, it's just very, it's very different and, uh, it's just a raw, explosive, powerful look movement. And, uh, and so every now and again, I've always, I've had it written in my notes of, uh, the goals that I wanted. And that's one I just never, I, I was never able to get. <laughs> and, uh, it looks like it's, uh, it's going to be that way. Cause when I get really lean, it gets a lot more problematic to just like throw the bar around like that. And after this goal, after I finish this thousand pound squat, you know, the, the next few months is going to be leaning back out. I'm sitting at 280 pounds right now and getting, getting down. Cause I hate being, being on the fatty side and focusing on health and longevity. I'll still be training. I'll still be doing stuff and pushing myself, but not, not in the way and, and the manners that I do now. Now, at this point in your career, we were talking before the broadcast or before we started recording, and I, I said twilight of your career, and then I immediately apologized, and you were like, no, 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 that's correct. It's the twilight of, of the career <laughs> in that sense. So at this point in the, in the twilight of your career, how are you approaching recovery and nutrition specifically as compared to maybe 20 years ago, 25 years ago? You've been training for over three decades, so there's a lot of, of time to borrow from, from, and I'm sure your approach has changed more times than anyone can count. Yeah, I, I don't even know if I could go back because there's uh got you know we're we're definitely in a golden age right now of training. The amount of information and resources available, uh, the technology, the science, like everything is just come so far from where it was a you know a decade ago, two decades ago. You know when I when I started lifting, you know there was nothing more than you know, Arnold, Arnold's encyclopedia of bodybuilding and, uh, a, a Bill Pearl's, you know, book. So that was, that, that was like the, the, the highlight of, uh, education in the sport, right? Well, you've done, you've done quite a bit in increasing the body of knowledge and in turning that from, from yes. knowledge to actual yeah. content that people can, can access. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, that's, and that was, uh, I, I saw a gap there a number of years ago. Um, so let me, let me, let me, head down that route for just a few minutes, but, uh, uh, because it is really important to me. Like I, I was working and developing knowledge a little bit more on the clinical side. I was doing a lot of clinical continuing education courses, even though my degrees are in engineering and masters in business and things of that nature, leadership. But, uh, I was doing continuing education courses in the clinical side and developing all these relationships and as I was going through, a lot of the research and the, the people that were working in the field were dealing with sedentary elderly populations, which there's nothing wrong. We do a lot of work in that space ourselves now. But it wasn't 
really clicking for like, how do you actually take this into the, you know, a normal active person or an athlete's life and actually make this usable? And so I spent a number of years like digesting that. And then uh, because I was actually, by that point, I was actually speaking uh, on those same circuits. And so I established a lot of credibility and I was able to, you know, talk back and forth with a lot of, you know, leaders in the world around whatever specific topics it was and developing kind of the methodology and approach and started testing on our, our athletes on myself. And yeah, that's where we've really put, you know, things that are a little more esoteric, like developmental kinesiology from the Prague School of Medicine, uh, you know, and actually making some of that like digestible in here's a specific set of steps and how we want to, to cue and engage that while you're squatting, uh, while you're deadlifting, while you're benching, how, how would that make a, you know, a, a case for how we carry a yoke? And we started seeing phenomenal results and huge on like getting people back into, to practice after, you know, thinking they've destroyed their back, destroyed their shoulders and so on. And so we've got an entire methodology and approach. Uh, we've got, uh, three courses. They're two days a piece. Uh, that we teach this on a regular basis uh, every month uh, around North America, although we're expanding globally this year. And so that's a lot of what I do. And so I'm always like, this is a kind of a, a side note on the feats of strength. These are actually bit huge learning opportunities for me. When you put yourself in the situation where you're doing these things, like you have to figure out a way out and you're in our uncharted territory. Like all those feats that I've talked about over the last four years, Nobody's ever done anything like it with either frequency, volume, intensity. And so there's, there's no playbook to go by. And so my, my recovery, so right now, everything is about recovery. So I spend one day a week training and six days a week, like significant amount of my day is focused on recovery. So number one thing with recovery, sleep. Sleep is huge. Um, really basic stuff, you know, so making sure your technology is off, not exposure before your bed, regular bedtime, um, you know, a little bit of meditative practice, deep breathing to get you into that uh, sympathetic uh, state with your nervous system. You know, these are practices that people just need to stay on top of. Um, I also nap every day as well. Uh, here at uh, Kabuki Strength, I've, I've got... <laughs> They have my napping couch laid up in, uh, in, uh, actually it's here, right here in our recording studio. Cause it's soundproof. So yeah. It's nice and quiet. That's a perfect place to take I, a nap. I, I get a nap in every day. Second to that is movement. So movement is huge, whether it be a walk. Uh, I do a lot of movement prep work, focusing on the areas that I specifically need to on my off days. And another big piece of movement is making sure that you're moving well to begin with. And so this is where like soft tissue work, things like that come in. Because if I'm not, if I'm, I'm in some sort of compensatory pattern and I'm moving, it's not going to help if I'm going for a walk and I've, you know, I'm favoring one leg, I'm limping a little bit, my pelvis is rotated, you know, so uh, every week we actually laser my alignment of my hips and my shoulders and my spine and that drives a lot of the choices in soft tissue work and then tests and retesting to verify that the work is done. Uh, so I have, uh, you know, we sell soft, soft tissue treatment tools. So I do a lot of the work with those. 
Uh, I've got an in-house LMT that does work on me and he does it. The first session that we do is immediately post squat. It's about five minutes later, 15 minutes later, literally bars still loaded. And I'm on the floor right there after that last squat. This isn't deep work. This is like getting the tissue relaxed, getting you to, again, kind of turn off that heightened state, but also addressing some of the, the huge outliers. Like if I've got some of the hip flexors tied on one site, side, we'll start, you know, alleviating that because what we want is have the least amount of time in compensatory patterns so that just daily life actually helps with recovery. I see so many people, they're foam rolling or doing stuff right before they go lift. And I'm like, why did you wait all week to do that? Like, <laughs> now you've got like, you have to do that before you go lift is, uh, you didn't do your homework. So those are, those are, those are huge things. A lot of it is about blood flow. So um, one of my companies is Build Fast Formula. Uh, and uh, like, I, I don't want to, you know, talk up, uh, you know, make advertising pitches. But uh, the daily use of basically nitrates is, is really awesome. So people think about nitrates as uh, pump products. So increasing vascularity, make you feel pumped and good while you train for aesthetics. But those same things are actually enhancing blood flow and recovery, making sure you've got muscle fullness so that when you're walking to a workout, you're full and ready to train. And so the daily use of that, and that's what we pioneered, uh, and there's, there's research validating this, has a huge impact on hypertrophy, endurance, recovery. And so that has been a game changer for me the last year and a half is putting that in um, so that's, uh, that's a really key. So our product is called Vaso Blitz uh, that has a, a, a really great mix of uh, nitrates, citrulline, lactate that actually stimulate this process. But you can also do, go with things like uh, beet juice, tomato juice, things like that as well that'll have some, some similar properties. Um, but that is, that is, that is great. Uh, I, I do a, uh, for the sleep, I also use a, a recently added a, an Uller or chili pad, which is basically a chilled mattress cover. Uh, so you determine what your optimal cool is to maintain your temperature. So a lot of the reasons that we wake up during the night is because of our, our temperature getting out of control a little bit because we heat up during, the, well, during sleep. And so you can actually control that environment. That's been awesome. On the blood flow side, I also use a vascular flow device. So it basically uses a mag... Um, uh, magnets or electromagnet electromagnetism to take the small capillaries and kind of expand and contract them. So it increases blood flow into those smaller tissues. It's not effective again as going and doing a light workout. It's a passive modality. Um, and that one is probably not uh, uh, worth the investment for an individual user. I'll just be straightforward with that one. Uh, if it's just for you, it's probably not worth it. You could do some light work, but, uh, but it's another one that I put in there. Um, minor, but is Epsom salt baths. So I'm doing those almost daily right now. And yeah, you know, the magnesium is going to have an impact on muscle relaxation. But at the end of the day, it's pretty minimal. But that hot bath and just relaxation time, particularly before bed, again, is going to help us with a lot of those other things. You know, stimulating that vagus nerve to relax, that rest and relax phase, enhancing digestion, getting you ready and improving sleep quality, 
all these sorts of things are all tied together. So they may seem minor, but they all work together. But the bigger process is sleep. <laughs> it is movement. It is blood flow. And, uh, you know, making sure you're doing the work to address posture, position, and making sure that we don't have any compensatory patterns lagging with us for any length of time. So post-session, uh, post-session, I do blood flow restriction. Um, and I actually do a couple. I've just added it in because I dropped that secondary. So even with the nitrates taking a whole week off, my muscles aren't as full going into the workout. So I'll do a little bit of blood flow restriction in a typical how it would be employed in a, uh, in a rehab process the two days prior with some light training just to get some some volumization, get some clearance in the, in the tissue. So I'll do that around my legs. Post-session, I do a different BFR protocol. It's a passive one, uh, and it is developed for recovery. Uh, and Dr. Mario Novo is uh, my coach on that. He's one of the leaders in the, in the BFR field. So BFR, I'm not talking about just like slapping some bands on your, on your body. Like you actually need to use an ultrasound and measure uh, your venous flow and know when it comes, like at what pressure... Uh, that happens at so you can actually use the right parameters and actually get the results from it and also not endanger yourself. It's a very important point when it comes to <laughs> any recovery methodology um, as far as not endangering yourself. Chris, as you look to wind down your well, your, your official power, powerlifting career ended a few years ago, and as this last feat of strength is on the horizon, are there any movement practices, sports, anything athletic you're looking forward to trying in the next phase of your life that maybe you haven't had the opportunity to really dive into while being so focused on these lifting goals? Yeah, I think that uh, is almost a little bit of a bigger question because, you know, we see people oftentimes that have an identity developed or tied to their sport if they're at a very high level. And when they reach that point of like, maybe that's why they don't want to retire or they're scared of it or afterwards they have trouble finding themselves. So I think it's always good, anybody at any level to make sure that they've got really a well-rounded life, that they've got a lot that their definition of themselves is not tied to this one thing because that can be taken from you at any time. You know, you could have an injury in the sport. You could hit by a car. You could get, there's so many things. So, um, and so I have a lot of other things in my life and a lot of other goals. And those, when I'm training at this level, it's very consuming in these periods of time that I can't participate or do some of those other things. And so I wouldn't say that there's more that I want to go do, but maybe things that I need to spend more time with. Like I love snowboarding, but I'm not going to go out. It's, it's winter right now. It's actually, I was almost late to this podcast because we've got some snow on the ground here in the city, but I'm not going to go up and hit the mountain right now. Like, <laughs> and so I end up rarely doing that anymore. Uh, big hikes, you know, when I'm sitting here at 280 pounds, I'm not going to go do, uh, I'm not going to want to go do those sorts of things or enjoy it the way that I have in the past. So, you know, I'm going to stick to just your question, not talk about my other hobbies or things that uh, that I have planned post, you know, you know, exiting this. But I'm not really exiting. It's it's just a shift. So I've been training for over 30 years. I competed for 16 years, almost a decade of that. I was ranked number one in the world uh, nearly every year straight. I set multiple all-time world records, and now 
you know, I'm getting to my mid forties. I still plan on being active. I'd like to be producing more content to help people and doing other stuff. But my personal goals, my that are that are driven by my ego, take away from what I can contribute because I have so much time consumed with what I'm what I'm doing. Uh, so so I'm really excited about that next phase and focusing on it and. Yeah, I'm getting a bit older. I got three kids. I got a young wife. I got like I need to be around, and uh, so you know I'm gonna be I'm gonna be active and doing things, uh, just in a different manner than I am right now. And at a lighter body weight. <laughs> and a lighter body weight. Yes. <laughs> Although I'm gonna post a little picture up on social. I still got it's freaking nuts. I'm sitting at 280 pounds right now, and I still have like visible abs. Like I, I don't. I, it doesn't make sense to me. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure we could dive into that, but uh, there's a, I mean, a lot of muscle on the frame. Well, Chris, what what are the best places? And I know there are a few for people to keep up to date with the work you're you're doing. Yeah. So uh, the primary places that I stay active is Instagram and LinkedIn. So you can find me just by typing in Chris Duffin. Uh, but my uh, on Instagram, my handle is mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin. I highly encourage people to fall, follow our coaching account. Um, you can follow our main business accounts as well. But the, the coaching account, we drop educational content nearly daily on. And that's the Kabuki underscore virtual coaching on Instagram. Um, I also drop that same content onto my LinkedIn on a regular basis as, as well. I do have some Facebook uh, pages. I think the company does. I do. But Facebook has been a difficult platform to deal with the last few years. So I really don't interact much. It's more just like... It's really literally just cross-posted Instagram stuff. So it automatically goes on there. And that's that's it. So, <laughs> so Instagram and uh, uh, LinkedIn are the places to go. Um, you can find uh, all, all my projects on christopherduffin.com. So my personal website is christopherduffin.com. The main company that I'm involved with all the time, the most uh, well-known is Kabuki Strength, K-A-B-U-K-I Strength. And you can find that at kabukistrength.com. Um, there's a link to my best-selling book on, uh, on my main site too. So christopherduffin.com, there's a link there. And I think you can actually download an audio version for free if you go through that website as well. So that's a, that's a pretty good, cool deal. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. We are really, really excited to see um, what's next for you after this uh, final feat of strength. And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be tuned in in a big way here at the Barbend office. Thanks so much for joining us. I've always appreciated you guys' support. So it was great getting to talk with you today. 